Hello friends and neighbors, this is David Smith of Illinois Family Action with a special edition for our Spotlight Podcast. Recently I gave a Sunday morning message at my church and since we captured the audio, I thought we could post it here as a special edition for those who might be interested. In this 40-minute sermon, we take a closer look at Psalm 136. In this chapter, we are repeatedly told that God's mercy endures forever. God's mercy is a monumental theme in the Bible. The four Hebrew and the three Greek words associated with this term appear a total of 454 times and are also translated as kindness, loving kindness, goodness, favor, compassion, and pity. So without further delay, here is the message. Good morning. One quick note, I am going to be using the New King James Version for today's message. Um, And that is because, um, well, basically that's the translation I want to go through for Psalm 136, which is today's message. Um, Psalm 136. And it's 26 verses long, and I want to read it. And I'm going to ask you to read uh, from your heart right? The uh, refrain or the, you know, the stanza, which is, for his mercy endures forever. All right. So I'm going to start with Psalm 136, and I hope I can read them from here. We'll see. Um, Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. Oh, give thanks to the God of gods. Oh, give thanks to the Lord of lords. To him alone does great wonders. To him who by wisdom made the heavens. To him who laid out the earth above the waters. To him alone who does great wonders. To him who by wisdom made the heavens. To him who laid out the earth above the waters. To him who made great lights. The sun to rule by day. The moon and stars to rule by night. To him who struck Egypt in their firstborn. And brought out Israel from among them. With a strong hand and with an outstretched arm. To him who divided the Red Sea in two. And made Israel pass through the midst of it. But overthrew Pharaoh and his army in the Red Sea. To him who led his people through the wilderness. To him who struck down great kings and slew famous kings. Shion, king of the Amorites, and Og, king of Bashan, and gave their land as a heritage, a heritage to to Israel, his servant. Who remembered us in our lowly state. 
and rescued us from our enemies. Who gives food to all flesh. Oh, give thanks to the God of heaven, for his mercy endures forever. Amen. Well, according to Charles Spurgeon, this psalm was constantly sung in the temple by appointed singers, uh, among whom the names of Hermon and Jedeph are mentioned. These, are, we are told, in the book of Chronicles, were chosen to give thanks unto Jehovah, whose mercy endureth forever. This continued service of song was most fitting for, for if Jehovah's mercy endureth forever, our praise should endureth forever. If his goodness never ceases, our thanksgiving should never be silent. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, the psalm and uh, Pastor Spurgeon's message here is a great conviction. Um, Lord, your mercy is so abundant. It never ends. And we owe you all the praise of our mouths. We should give you praises and thanksgiving continually. So, Father, I pray that you would help us see in this, uh, in this passage, in this psalm, in the message this morning, what you want us to see. Um, Father, convict us, uh, use us, um, help us to meditate on what you want us to meditate on this week, and uh, Father, use it for your great glory, and uh, fill us with the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Well, um, how would this psalm have been sung by the temple singers? Well, that's a good question. I'm not sure, but I'd like to share with you a short shanty version. Anyone here a fan of sea shanties? Uh, of this psalm with you now. Uh, by the way, in this song, it's only two minutes long and it's a cappella. Um, they were, used the word a, forever and a is the phrase. And uh, I had to look up that word because I thought, no, that's I. Why are they saying a? And it's actually a verb, an adverb, meaning always, continually, ever. So uh, here it goes. And the words are on the bottom, if maybe not be able to see it. Ever and day, forever and day, the mercies of the Lord endure forever and day. Yep. Ever and day. Split the Red Sea clean in two, Ever and, day. and made the Jews to pass between, Ever and day. but drowned old Pharaoh and his host, Ever and day. through wastelands led his people through. Ever and day.
gives good food to all who live. Ever and Give thanks unto our God above. Ever and Ever and Forever and The mercies of the Lord endure forever and Ever and Forever and The mercies of the Lord endure forever and Kind of catchy, don't you think? You think that could get caught in your brain and you could be singing it all day long? Well, that's kind of my hope here today. If you want that uh, link to that YouTube, I will be happy to send it to you. Um, it was made actually by a church in Idaho to encourage their congregation on a Bible challenge, reading challenge. And uh, so I'm, I'm really grateful for that. It's uh, very catchy. And uh, my little guys uh, are caught singing it, so it's a, it's a good thing, you know. Um, but God's mercy, which they were singing about, is a monumental theme in God's word. The English word appears some 341 times in the Bible. The four Hebrew and the three Greek words associated with this term appear a total of 454 times and are also translated as kindness, loving kindness, goodness, favor, compassion, and pity. Psalm 136 is unique to all the Psalms in that it repeats the same stanza in every verse. For his mercy endures forever. Now, you may remember being told that when the Bible repeats something, it's wise to pay attention, right? For example, theologians tell us that when Jesus says, truly, truly, or verily, verily, or amen, amen, he is emphasizing some truth claim in an authoritative way. So when the word of God gives us a psalm, in which we're told his mercies endure forever, 26 times in one psalm, then we should understand that God wants us to, uh, wants to communicate something extremely important to us. Now, Easton's Bible Dictionary defines mercy as compassion for the miserable. Its object is misery. By the atoning sacrifice of Christ, a way is open for the exercise of mercy towards the Son of Men, in harmony with the demands of truth and righteousness. Now, the Webster 1828 Dictionary defines mercy this way. The benevolence, mildness, or tenderness of heart which disposes a person to overlook injuries or to treat an offender better than he deserves the disposition that tempers justice and induces an injured person to forgive trespasses and injuries and to forbear <coughs> punishment or inflict less than law or justice will warrant. It goes on to say, in this sense, there is perhaps no word in, in, in our English language precisely synonymous with mercy that which, that which comes nearest to it is grace. It implies benevolence, 
tenderness, mildness, pity, or compassion, and clemency, but exercised only towards offenders. Mercy is a distinguishing attribute of the supreme being. Yes, it is. I, however, really like the simplicity of how the devotional, Our Daily Bread, defined it. Uh, I don't know if they're the originators of this, but this goes back to July 12th in 1998. And it says, grace is getting what we do not deserve. Grace is getting what we do not deserve. The flip side, mercy is not receiving what we do deserve. Mercy is not receiving what we do deserve. The word in Psalm 136 is the word hesed. It's a very important Old Testament word. The New King James Version translates it as mercy. That's why I'm using it today. The NSB, NASB, translates it as loving kindness. The ESV went with steadfast love. Now, I asked some of my pastor friends about this translation of hesed, and the consensus was that it's a difficult word to bring into English. <clears throat> in fact, Hebrew scholar Dr. Michael Brown suggested, and I just simply point out in my message that these different translations capture different aspects of the meaning of this rich Hebrew word. So that's what I'm trying to do. The Septuagint translators regularly rendered hesed with the Greek word for mercy, ilios. Likewise, the King James Version translates it regularly as mercy or kindness. Other English versions render it as loyalty, constant love, love, or unfailing love, faithfulness. In any, in any regard, hesed is an essential part of God's character. The Hebrew word is found some 245 times in the Old Testament, 127 times in Psalms alone. For example, when God appeared to Moses to give the law a second time, <clears throat> he described himself as abounding in or filled with hesed. Exodus Chapter 34, verses 5 and 7 says this, 5 through 7. Now the Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. And the Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abounding in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, by no means clearing the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. You can see mercy there is hesed. Hesed is mercy. In Exodus 20, verse 6, God says that he lavishes his hesed for a thousand generations on those who love him and obey his commands. This trustworthy, ever-enduring, loyal aspect of God's covenantal love resonates throughout the Old Testament. For example, Nehemiah verse, chapter 1, verse 5, I pray... Lord God of heaven, O great and awesome God, you who keep your covenant and mercy with those who love you and observe your commandments. How about Daniel chapter 9 verse 4? 
I prayed to the Lord my God and made confession and said, O Lord, great and awesome God, who keeps his covenant and mercy with those who love him and with those who keep his commandments. Jeremiah chapter 32, verse 18. You show loving kindness to thousands and, and repay the iniquity of the fathers into the bosom of their children after them. The great, the mighty God, whose name is the Lord of hosts. <clears throat> and then in Numbers chapter 14, 18 and 19, well, Moses interceded for the people. He appealed to God's hesed, to his God's mercy. He said, the Lord is long-suffering and abundant in mercy, forgiving iniquity and transgression, but he by no means clear the guilty visiting the iniquity of the fathers and the children to the third and fourth generation. And he asks, pardon the iniquity of these people, I pray, according to the greatness of your mercy, just as you have forgiven this people from Egypt even until now. So Psalm 136 repeats the theme, for his mercy endures forever each of the 26 verses listing incomparable aspects of God's kindness to us. Now, the cultural upheaval that is festering in our nation has, a profound, has had a profound impact on me. The discontent and ungrateful attitudes that have been prominent in the public square are unsettling and upsetting to many of us. While we realize that sinful attitudes, the sinful attitudes at the heart of this matter are based on half-truths, falsehoods, deceptions, and dis disinformation, the actions and reactions that are being propagated in various cities throughout the nation are alarming and vexing. At the heart of all this is a, a, really a lack of gratitude. It's forced me to examine my own level of appreciation for God Almighty. And in response, I'm starting to be more intentional to check my own attitude. I know I should live and pray with a, with a thankful spirit in all things. I'm therefore beginning to understand the need to celebrate God's goodness in my life. The blessings, yes, of course. Challenges and trials, yes. Bounty and provision, yes. All these things that he pours out for us. These blessings are both physical and spiritual. I probably know only a fraction of it. And extend well beyond me and my family. They are made manifest for the well-being of the community in which we all live. And overflows for the state and nation. On this point, Charles Spurgeon exhorts us. Let us not refuse our sonnets of thanksgiving. Glory be to God. We have been redeemed from the power of our corruptions, uplifted from the depth of sin in which we were naturally plunged. We have been led to the cross of Christ. Our shackles of guilt have been broken off. We are no longer slaves, but children of the living God. We can look back to the source of that redemption in the council chambers of eternity, where the plan was first ordained and settled. We can look forward to the results of that redemption 
and antedate the period when we shall be presented before the throne without spot or wrinkle or any such thing. Even now, by faith, we wave the palm branch and wrap ourselves about with the fair white linen, which is to be our everlasting array. And shall we not this day give thanks to the name of the Lord, whose redeeming mercy endureth forever? Children of God, canst thou be silent? Shall there be one dumb soul here this morning? Awake! Awake, ye heritors of glory, and lead your captivity captive as ye cry with David. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. So true. So true. God's mercy is abundant. God is so good to us. Lamentations 3, 22 and 23 says, Through the Lord's mercies we are not consumed, because his compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. How about in Psalms 145? The Lord is good to all, and his tender mercies are all over his works. Psalm 37, delight yourself also in the Lord, and he shall give you the desires of your hearts. How about Micah 7? Who is a God like you, pardoning iniquity and passing over the transgression of the remnant of his heritage? He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in mercy he will again have compassion on us and he will subdue our iniquities. You will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. Praise God. Psalm 103, verse 17. But the mercy of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him and his righteousness to children's children. Because he is King eternal, immortal, invisible, the only wise God. And he is the blessed and only potent, the King of kings and Lord of lords. We should therefore give thanks to the Lord of lords, for his mercy endures forever. Now, this psalm highlights the fact that God does great wonders, right? The creation of the universe stands out among all the religions of the world as unique to the God of the Bible. It distinguishes all of the principalities and powers of this universe from the one who created the heavens and earth. Right? 1 Corinthians chapter 8, 5 and 6. For even if there are so-called gods, whether in heaven or on earth, as there are many gods and many lords... Yet for us there is one God, the Father, of whom are all things, and we for him. And one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom all are all things, and through whom we live. We cannot even understand the triune nature of God apart from what he has revealed of himself in creation Romans 1.20 says, For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his external power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. 
The very gospel of God has its everlasting foundation in creation. Look at Revelation chapter 14, verses 6 and 7. Then I saw another angel flying in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach to those who dwell on the earth, to every nation, tribe, tongue, and people, saying with a loud voice, Fear God and give glory to him, for the hour of his judgment has come. And worship him who made heaven and earth, the sea and the springs of water. So you might say God's signature is written throughout the universe. So much so that he used the evidence of his design and authority integrated into the ecosystem of the earth to prove his deity to his servant, especially to his servant Job, right? We do well to honor him who alone does great wonders for his mercies endure forever. That's verse 4, Psalm 136. But there's more. This psalm highlights the fact that God is a great deliverer, right? We have the exodus of the nation of Israel from Egypt, which still, which still stands as one of the most intriguing and awe-inspiring events of history. Nothing in the annals of human events comes close to the intervention of the I am that I am in the affairs of nation. God came down to deliver and to display his signs and wonders against all the gods of Egypt. Those are direct quotes from Exodus 3 and chapter 7 and chapter 12. Never before or since has God taken for himself a nation from the midst of another nation by trials by signs, by wonders, by wars, by, might, by a mighty hand and an outstretched arm, and by great terrors. That's Deuteronomy chapter 4, 34. In the context of New Testament Christianity, our God has delivered us from the power of Satan, Acts chapter 26, and darkness, Colossians chapter 1, into his marvelous light, 1 Peter chapter 2. We have been set free from the law of sin, Romans 8, and from this present evil world, Galatians 1, to the glorious liberty of the children of God, back to Romans 8. The same God who overthrew Pharaoh is the, is the Savior who will deliver the godly out of temptations, 2 Peter 2, and from every evil work, 2 Timothy 4. And has given to us exceedingly great and precious promises that through these we may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. Second Peter chapter 1. Now, this psalm also highlights the fact that God is a great provider. There are three specific examples given in Psalm 136 of God's sovereign provision. He protects and shelters during the wilderness. He makes possible victories over great enemies, and he gives food to all flesh. These details of God's provision and the many examples in the scriptures are inexhaustible. Yet in these three areas, we find hope for any situation in times of need. 
In Hebrews 4, verse 16, it says, Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in times of need. Were it not for the promises of deliverance from our enemy, so replete throughout the scriptures, were it not for the hope that we would be, we'd, we'd see deliverance in the land of the living, and if it were not for the confident knowledge that evildoers shall be cut off, we could be in constant fear and torment. But God promises to bring victory. We are told that he will fight for us. We are not left to our own devices. Jesus said in Matthew 28, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So when our young people get old, the mercy of the Lord will still endure. When those of us who are middle-aged hit our senior years, well, guess what? The mercies of the Lord will still endure. Our parents and grandparents who are in their 70s, 80s, or maybe 90s, when most of life is over and we wonder about eternity and what it's like, the mercy of the Lord will be there in the valley of the shadow of death. You've heard the mantra, God is good all the time and all the time... Well, we can easily, just as easily say, God is merciful all the time. And all the time, God is merciful. Now, the word forever here, I want you to think about this. This is a critical part of Psalm 136 because his goodness and mercy go hand in hand. In fact, we're told throughout Scripture that God does not change. Hebrews 12.8 says that God is the same yesterday and today and forever. God's attributes do not change because he does not change. Without his inherent goodness, it would not be possible for God to be eternally merciful. We need only to think of ourselves to understand this today. Today, in a good mood, we might be more inclined to mercy than when we are short-tempered or things aren't going well, right? There are days where we might be more merciful than other days. Mercy from a human perspective is frail and tenuous and without certainty. Would you agree with me on that? Yet as humans, mercy is something we all desperately need. Our transgressions and weaknesses would destroy us were it not for God's eternal mercy. This mercy is the natural outworking of his goodness. It's God's character in action. All those little acts of protection and provision or forgiveness are his mercy at work. It's the manifestation of his goodness in an active and vital way. The reality is that he does not have to do anything for us. He's God. We're saved by grace. And even that was not an unavoidable have to on his part. Yet his mercy, like his goodness, is eternal. It's the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow, just as he is, as his goodness is. It's eternal because God is good eternally, perfectly, and completely. 
we must understand that we cannot separate the two. Psalm 136 really does make that clear. For he is good and for his mercy endures forever. His mercy is eternal because his goodness is eternal. If it were not, there would be no assurance of limitless mercies each day. To this point, I want to quote Spurgeon again. Bear with me because I'm quoting at length. But it's too good not to include. <laughs> so, uh, please. Spurgeon says this. May we not also understand by his mercy endureth forever that the patience of God aboundeth? Have you ever reflected upon the infinite long-suffering of God? Consider for a moment. The sins of men are all before the Lord. You and I can readily put up with offenses which do not touch us in the quick or actually under our own eye. But the sinner's sin is per perpetuated before the countenance of Jehovah. No word is said behind his back. No blasphemy is uttered in secret to him. And sin affects God as it does not affect us. We have grown so case-hardened that the heinous, heinousness of iniquity is, of little, is little discerned by us. We take it as a matter of course. But God, who is infinitely pure, is, if I may use such an expression, infinitely sensitive with regard to sin. He knows sin to be sin, and the heinousness of it, which we do not perceive, is all before his mind continually, and yet his mighty patience reigns over all and bears with men's iniquities. Remember, too, that these insults against heaven are constantly repeated. The most patient man at last yields anger. Constant dropping will wear away a stone, but here is God, but here is God insulted. And as I have said, to his face thousands and thousands of times a day, and yet keeps his sword in his scabbard and bids his thunder sleep. A wish would blast the, way, the rebels into everlasting torment, but he wills it not. As the Lord liveth, he saith, he hath no pleasure in the death of him that dieth, but would rather that he should turn unto him and live. To, to all this you must add the reflection that all the while rebellious sinners are partaking of God's mercy. This is so important. The rebels wear God's livery upon his back and sits at the table of God's providence. The breath that is in his nostrils is the gift of divine charity. And yet the wretch, the wretch uses this breath against his maker. Can you understand this? Could you bear to be insulted for a single day by one who was receiving all he had from you? Would you not by and by? I verily speedily say to him, Get you gone, if you are my enemy, wherefore should I treat you as my treat my friend? Then be it remembered that God is not only sparing the guilty, but he is putting ways of mercy before them. Some of you are invited to repent as often as the Sabbath draws. 
With some of you, there are incessant movings upon your conscience. You seldom pass a day without hearing the voice say, Turn ye, turn ye, why will you die? God is always wooing you to come to him, inviting you by his mercy and threatening you by his judgments. And yet, while his long-suffering should lead you to repentance, and you add sin to sin and ripen in your iniquity. One more, one thing more I would have you recollect. And I think you will admire the amazing patience of God, namely, that he is doing this with millions. Millions! Perhaps a thousand millions at this moment. For I suppose, though no one can ascertain accurately, there are a thousand millions of unregenerate men upon the face of this earth at this very moment, all enemies of God either worshiping gods of wood and stone or else such spiritual idols as their imaginations have fashioned. And with all these, God is compassed about with, as with bees, but he doth not destroy them. Still hath he patience, and still he crieth, Come unto me, repent, believe in my Son, and ye shall have eternal life. Truly. His mercy endureth forever, if you think about these things. Praise God. We cannot get outside of his mercy. Even in the depths of the sea, his mercy is there. Spurgeon points out in his sermon here on Psalm 136. And by the way, I was really tempted just to throw mine away and go with his. <laughs> it is so much better. But I'm just quoting at it quoting from it at length. Two more slides on his and from him. Pastor, Pastor Spurgeon said this, the potency of God's mercy in delivering his saints is equally immutable. He is always able to deliver his children. There is no possibility that a child of God should be cast into a difficulty out of which the stretched arm of Jehovah cannot bring him. He who brought his people of old from the brick kilns of Egypt and led them through the Red Sea and the howling wilderness will surely bring all his elect ones out of their trials safe to their heavenly rest. His mercy endures forever. God's mercy goes beyond our deepest sins and beyond our loneliest hour. His mercy endures forever. Finally, while we are never to take God's provision for granted, in fact, Jesus taught us to pray, give us this day our daily bread, we need to be reminded that the mercy of God extends far beyond, beyond the care of his own. Scripture tells us that he makes his son to rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. That's Matthew chapter 5. And we know that Isaiah tells us that God is the God of the whole earth. That's Isaiah chapter 54. We often get caught up in trying to make provisions for a rainy day ourselves, don't we? We want to be prepared. We want toilet paper stocked up. But God knows 
that we have need of all these things. Whatever our circumstances may be, God knows and understands. We, in turn, must remind ourselves and trust in the fact that his mercy endures forever. Psalm 136 began with a clear directive. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. He is good. We give thanks to God because he is good. How is he good? Well, we read 26 times in this psalm how he is good. His mercy endures forever. And the last line of the psalm repeats the command, O give thanks to the Lord, the God of heaven, for his mercy endures forever. So the psalm ends as it begins with the call to recognize God's faithful to, faithfulness to us and instruct us to be grateful to him for his continuing many, many mercies. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, uh, we would give you thanks and praise for your great mercies to us this day, this Sunday, this first day of the week, in the middle of October. We acknowledge that our words are not sufficient to honor your majesty or our minds capable of understanding how to express our thanks. The, the, the thanks that is really due to you. Forgive us, too, for often failing to acknowledge your amazing loving kindness towards us. On this morning, we offer you our sacrifice of praise and thanksgiving. Please accept them as a sweet aroma before your throne. As we do this, please drive out our anxieties, worldly cares and concerns as we meditate on the truth of this psalm. Thank you, God. Thank you, God, for your boundless mercy in our lives. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen.